0: We all make promises in life, some we keep and some we break. We've all experienced the hurt and disappointment of a broken promise, and I'm sure most of us have experienced the joy and excitement of a promise fulfilled. Promises are a vital part of life, they give us something to hope for. We make decisions based on promises, we find strength and security in them, and there are even times that all we're holding onto is a simple promise. And isn't it comforting to know that there is no greater promise to hold on to than the promise of God? God has made over 7,000 promises in His Word, and He will keep every last one of them. Join us as we discover what role we play in God's plan and His many promises. Good morning, and let me wish everybody, or uh, well, not everybody, our mothers, a <laughs> happy Mother's Day today. I sure hope today is a, a good day for you, a good day of honoring or a good day of being honored. You know, I know when we come to a day like uh, today, there there's a variety of experiences, there's a variety of emotions that are going on based on What's gone on recently? What's gone on in life? And I know that can bring a lot of, bring us to a lot of different places on a day like this when we're all kind of pretending that we look the same. But uh, I, I know this, Jesus is enough. Amen? What, whatever emotion Mother's Day brings to you, whatever you're dealing with today, Jesus is enough. He's enough to help you celebrate. He's enough to help you walk through grief. And All the different things in between. So I do hope it's a good day for you, a a good time together. I'm excited uh, about the series that we're starting. I can't think of a a better series to start on a better day than promises on Mother's Day. For for so many of us, mom was a person who fulfilled a duty, who kept a commitment, a, a, a promise. Whether she was asked or not, whether she was thanked or not, right? And, and, and so we, a lot of times when we think of a good thing about a promise, we might think of mom. Well, we are today beginning a, a rather long series. I, I say long, uh, it's long in terms it's going to take us uh, well over halfway through the summer. We're going to be looking at promises to the end of July. But, but in other ways, this is barely skirting the issue. There, there are thousands of promises. I mean, we could talk about promises of God every Sunday till Jesus comes back. If he went 50 more years, we could talk about that. Then there's looking at the promise maker. Just understanding this one who makes these promises to us. And and then there's not necessarily how we look at an individual promise, but just how important the promises are for you and I. How we live under them, or as we used to sing, as we stand on the promises of God, right? A lot of different ways that we could look at this, but... uh, so nine weeks is actually pretty quick, but I hope it's going to be a good nine weeks. I, I think you're going to find this encouraging. I think you're going to find it filled with hope. And I think you're going to find it filled with some things that you, that I need for, for really genuinely, faithfully following Jesus Christ. So we're going to get started today with a definition Of promise. You might not think, well, I know what a promise is. I don't need to to start with a definition. But there's something very specific I want you to see about this. Let's look at this. A promise is a declaration by one person to another that something will or will not be done, giving the person to whom it is made the right to expect. The right to expect the performance of whatever has been specified. As I put in caps there, I guess you can tell probably the word I find really intriguing in the definition of promise is that word expect. God has made a promise, promises to you and to me. And because of that, then by definition, we can expect something, right? We could say God has obligated himself to us. I don't don't think we can grasp how incredible that is! If you remember, or you're familiar with the story of when Moses uh, met God at the burning bush on Mount Sinai, and in that moment God revealed His name—what we sometimes call His, like His personal name—a a name used in a close relationship—and and do you remember what He told Moses? His name was I Am. A, a, a different name, right? Sounds a little weird. I mean, three letters, two short words. For us, I am is the beginning of a sentence, not a name, right? But, but in that name of God, a whole lot is being communicated. I am is meant to communicate to us something about God, His self-existence and, and, and His self-sufficiency. His self-existence, meaning He owes His existence to no one. Sometimes we're obligated, sometimes we owe because of someone above us and what they give to us, what they provide for us, how we need them. But, but God has nothing like that. He doesn't owe His existence to anyone. Wherever you go in space or time, wherever you go outside of space or time, God is the I am. He is never the God who will be. He is never the God who was. He is always I am. He is the uncaused cause. And because of that self-existence, he is not obligated to anyone or anything above him. His self-sufficiency means he also has no needs. God has no needs, not not just from somebody above him, but, but I mean we sometimes need something from people around us, right? I I need stuff from people who, they're not above me, they're maybe on the same level as me, but but I still need something from them. God God has no needs that you or I, that anything meets in his life. I I one time heard somebody say that, that God is a loving God, and we believe that, right? And being a loving God, and this might kind of make sense, being a loving God, he created people to have something to love. To be able to share that love with you. Yeah, that's kind of cool. God created us to to share that love. That statement is entirely wrong. Not the loving part of God. The idea that he needed to create something. In order to be able to show love. In order to be able to to demonstrate love. We forget in a statement like that. And it's easy for us to get this. Because the, the Trinity is such a mystery to us. But folks, God has Existed forever in a perfect loving relationship, eternally in a relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God did not need to create something because He had this bottled up love that He didn't know what to do with. No, He, he has no needs. And because of the self existence of God, the self sufficiency of God, that actually lays the groundwork for a, a third attribute of God, His freedom. God is free from anything or anyone, which primarily means God has no obligations. He's not obligated to be something. He's not obligated to do something. He doesn't owe anything in creation anything. I I like the way A.W. Tozer expressed this. He said the word necessary is wholly foreign to God. God never has to use, God never uses the word necessary. He doesn't ever wake up and say, boy, it's is really necessary, I get this done today. N- nothing is necessary for God. Now that is a, a really brief, maybe even shallow presentation of some big attributes of God: self-existence, self-sufficiency, freedom. But hopefully it's just enough to create a context by which we say, it is entirely amazing that God is promises something to you and I, that he literally, by definition, obligates himself to you and to me. We already know he doesn't owe us that, but it's also not our deservedness. We have not done something that led God to, boy, I've got to move. I've got I've got to respond here. I mean, we've it's not our goodness that he's responding to, is it? No, I mean, we've rebelled against God. We've rejected God. I mean, hey, how about our promise-keeping ability? You ever made a promise Did you keep it? I mean, sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah, a few. Nobody kept a promise in here. That's awesome. Okay, so you get my point. <laughs> no, obviously, even in some promises I could say I have fulfilled, we make promises to each other. We make promises to God, and we break them, and we fail. And sometimes... Sometimes we don't keep promises. It's not because we're bad people. We just, I promise something, but I found out I don't actually have the ability to keep it. I don't actually have the ability to, to follow through on that. But the bottom line is, folks, it's not like God's looking at all this activity of promise making and promise keeping on earth. And God said, wow, I really need to pony up. You know, if you look at, if you understand anything about promises... You really should leave the discussion thinking, why would God promise us anything? Why would God make any kind of promise to me? Well, God is a promise maker. He is a promise keeper. He's never failed at a single promise. Never come up short at any kind of promise. This is a major theme of Scripture. Not just something that happens in Scripture. Not just an idea that we can attach some verses to. This is a major theme of what the Bible is communicating. Communicating the faithfulness of God, the loyalty of God, that we can count on His Word, that He's going to keep His promises. And that's why I say even to spend nine Sundays looking at it is just just skirting across the top of the surface. Again, we could look at all of the individual promises God has made to, to individuals, to you and me, how we apply that. We could look at promises He's made to a nation like Israel, right? And when we studied that, we'd be looking at things like the Abrahamic covenant or the Davidic covenant, and we would see how these promises guide how God relates, how God moves in our lives. We, we could even look at, at promises God's made to all of humanity. Have you ever thought about prophecy as a promise? When you think about it, in prophecy, God is saying, hey, when you get down there, I promise you this is what you're going to see. Hey, I promise you I don't want you to miss it. So I put all kinds of road signs and mile markers and, and things. Ah, oh, here it is. Of course, he also promises how he's going to act and what he's going to do down there. That can be tremendously encouraging. It can fill us with great hope. Of course, some of it should fill us with warning too, right? I don't know about you, but I've certainly had the experience in my life of getting away with sin, right? Hey, I don't, I don't think anybody saw that. Hey, that seemed to have worked out pretty good. May, maybe God wasn't watching. Maybe God doesn't really judge then open his word and it says, I promise you, no sin is gotten away with. Just as I don't experience something in a moment, no, the promise will be fulfilled. So there's a lot of ways that we could begin to approach and understand promises. Again, just studying the promise maker. Now what we're going to do in these weeks ahead is we're going to look at the individual promises. Not, not all thousands of them. We're going to look at a handful of promises that you and I can apply in our lives as individuals. And kind of our theme, if you will, for running through this is, is the past, the present, and the future. We're going to look at a couple of promises. To, we're going to look at a promise today, a promise next week that look to our past there, there are promises that we need, we're holding on to as we look back a second ago, all the way back to our birth. And there are promises that will apply to, to our past. And then we'll take a handful of promises and look at our, our present. Because sometimes we grab a hold of a promise because of what I need right this minute. I, I, I need to see this. I, I need this help. God, I need you to move and work right here. And we're claiming a promise for that moment. And, and then we'll look at a promise about the future. Fill you, fill you, fill you with hope. And then we're going to conclude the series by looking at the promise maker. Because when you look at all these promises, I mean, like I said, I've made promises and just ended up, in some cases, I didn't have the ability to fulfill it. Well, what about God? Can, can He make these promises? Can He fulfill these promises? We're going to conclude but by looking at why we can trust these promises. So today, and and I just said we're we're starting with a promise that's about our past, and and the reason I put this particular promise in the past is because it begins at our birth, which for most of us is the past, right? Yeah, some of you will catch up with that in a little bit. That's a promise about our past, but the truth is this particular promise has bearing through every place in our life. It's about our past, it's about our present, it's about our future. It's a promise that starts in our path, but it becomes the lens by which we read our story. It becomes the lens by, by which we understand life. And it is the, the, one of the most hope-filled promises about how you and I look out there at the world we live in and what's going on in our lives. It, it's a short promise. It's a simple verse. One of my favorite. Psalm 138, verse 8. And it very simply says this. The Lord will. That's the promise. Will. Not the Lord can. He will for some, but not for you. Not, not the Lord might. Might. Not the Lord should. The Lord will. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. He will fulfill His purpose for me. There's a, there's a purpose for you. You are not random. You, you are not just a biological product of a moment between two people. You are not an accident. My, my, I've got four kids and... My three older kids like to pick on their little brother, and they like to tell him that he is an he's an accident. Now, Randy, uh, little Randy in our family, Randy's not an accident. Karen and I wanted four, prayed for four, planned on four. I mean, that, there's no sense in which that's an accident. The timing of Randy snuck up on us a little bit, which I always feel a little bit awkward saying. You'd think after three we'd figured out how this was working. But anyway, the timing kind of snuck up, and somewhere in our family story, the, the kids picked that up, and they interpreted that to say that Randy was an accident and so they tell him all the time you're you're an accident and they golly, you your older three you're kind of kind of mean aren't they no they they're, they're not mean they're just jealous they're just, I mean, you know, you know how the, the, the baby of the family has a little bit more ability to hold mom and dad's attention a little longer, a, a, a little stronger. So they're not being mean to their little brother. They're just jealous of him. And I've tried to help the older three. I've tried to encourage them. I, I tell them all the time, Randy's not our favorite. We just love him more. <laughs> and and they, they, just won't, they just won't understand. So, you know, you, Randy's not an accident. And, and, and you, you are not an accident. You're not unplanned. Did you realize A.W. Tozier introduced that word necessary? That, that doesn't need to be used in heaven. You know what another word that doesn't ever need to be used in heaven is unplanned. God is never interacting with. God is never struggling with. God is never dealing with the unplanned event of today. Life is not unplanned to God. You are not unplanned. And that's not just a statement about your birth. That's a statement about every page in your story. Oh gosh, as things hit us, there's a lot that seems to be unplanned, right? Whether we like it or not, there's just this feeling of, didn't see that coming, didn't plan on that. God never never says, why didn't see that coming? And folks, that reality is a part of how God fulfills the promise that He's going to finish your story. This idea, as I said, it it moves through every part of our life. And I want to show you out of a promise that the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me, comes other promises. And actually, we're going to to see that each week during this series. I will show you a promise. There will be a verse that I put out there for you. But with every promise, there are other promises that support and hold up that promise. There are other promises that make that happen. And and what we see in that promise is others that mean no part of your life is an accident. No part of your life is random. No part of your life is unplanned. There's a story writer and he's good and he's going to finish the story. And that begins with your birth. You were specifically created. Not random. Not an accident. Not just a product of biology. You were specifically created. Look at Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that just precious to think about? God knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Hey, just to be clear, this statement is not anti-science. This statement isn't anti-biology. God gets science. God gets biology. You know why he gets it? Because he created it. Yeah, he knows how it works. He knows where babies come from. God created the process, but he stays involved and engaged with the process. He's involved and engaged with you. You know, in in philosophy, as they look at the idea of the supernatural and the idea of a God, there was was a view of God that that referred to him as the watchmaker God. Have you ever heard of that? It's the idea that, that God would create, you know, he would build this watch... He would make it work, he would, he would wind it up, and, and then he would set it to go. And then he would become disengaged, uninvolved in, in creation, uninvolved in the watch. This verse just blows that idea up, doesn't it? God created bi- biology, God created science, he created the way babies were made, but then he didn't just step back and say, okay, creation, hope it all works out for you. No, no he stays intricately involved in you, in you, your face, your, your name, your soul, you are specifically created. And as you move on from that creation into life, you are being purposely shaped. God didn't stop knitting and molding and making in the womb. He continued to shape and mold and make you all throughout life. And He uses every event going on to do that. Romans 8.28 Romans We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Just to be clear, the verse does not say everything works out good. Because everything doesn't work out good, right? I mean, we have some pages in our story at the top of the page. It starts bad and it picks up speed. Right? It starts bad and the page ends worse. This didn't say everything works out good. This says that anything that comes onto the page of your life, God will make sure it ends up working for the good He's doing in your life. God doesn't send evil. God doesn't inspire sin. But every day you and I are dealing with evil. We're dealing with sin. Sometimes it hurts, right? Right? Sometimes it creates real fear, real confusion, real anger, real frustration, real emptiness in us. That doesn't mean God sent it, but listen to this good news. However it got onto the page of your story, God says it doesn't get the final word. I will pick it up and I will make sure it works for the good in your life. Man, what a hope. Nothing random, nothing unplanned is happening. God will pick up everything and shape it and mold it for the good of the story that he's writing in me. That ultimately lands with me standing before God filled with joy. Look look at our future here, folks. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To Jesus who is able to keep me from blowing up my own story. To to Jesus who is able to keep me from walking off the page of my story. Jesus will keep me from stumbling and present me. Look at this. Blameless. I'm not blameless. Blameless. I'm not blameless. But I'll stand before God as if I was. And that's not Jesus and the Father playing some little game. No, Jesus paid for all the reasons I'm not blameless, right? He covered all that. Since it's His payment and since it's His work, then He can carry me. He can take me there to the Father and present me covered. Blameless. So that when I stand in the presence of glory, which for so many people is an awesome and terrifying thing. But what Jesus promised me is, no, I'm going to carry you there blameless. And when you stand there, joy is going to be the great emotion that you're experiencing. That's where my story is going. That's where my story, that's where your story is going. Gosh, folks, think of all the things that come onto the pages of our life, right? Man, we have good days and bad days. We have good experiences and bad experiences. We have good people and not so good ones, right? Man, can you imagine if we were left to try to make sense of all this, figure it all out? And so much of this, so much of this makes life hard. And it will leave some of us feeling mistreated, undervalued, un- Unloved. But see, what these truths tell me is I'm, my, my value and my worth is not and I have a good day or a bad day. I have a good life or a bad life. I have good relations, bad relations. No, my value is not in those things. My value is in the author. My value is the one who writes my story. My value is in a promise that this story goes to a good place and it ends good. And that story ends in heaven. Which if you think about it, the ending is a new beginning, Right? But I, I want you to pick, I just said something profoundly important to how you and I look at life. The story ends in heaven. It doesn't end in this world. Which means here is not where I can judge the story. Here is not where I can judge the author. You know, I mean, folks, if you're sitting on page 397 right now of a 500 page book. And you're saying, I don't like what's on this page. What's on this page makes me angry. Yeah, that, a page by itself, a page disconnected from where the story is going, from, from the ending, a page by itself can be very confusing, can be very frustrating, can be very painful. But the story is not page 397. The story is the whole 500 pages, right? Man, we've got to wait till we get to heaven. To be able to put all the pieces together, to connect the dots, to see what the storyteller was doing. Your value is that the author's writing this story about you. And he promises whatever lands on page 397, right? Hey, I'll tell you right now, is what the scripture says. I'll tell you right now, there's gonna be some 397s you don't like, that hurt, that don't make sense. But what has he promised? There's a page 500 for you. There's an end of the story. And, and this is how it is going to end. Now, Romans 8.28 also introduced some conditions, right? Romans 8.28, Psalm 138, verse 8, go hand in hand. They're, they're what I refer to as sister verses. They, they go together. If, I'm on, if, I'm, if you go to my Bible and Psalm 138, verse 8, out to the beside it, it'll say Romans 8.28. If you turn to Romans 8, 28, it'll say, see Psalm 138, verse 8. They go together. They're they're saying the same thing. And in that promise, there is a condition that you and I love God and that we're called according to His purpose. If I reject God's love, if I do not bring my life under God's love, and, and folks, you and I, we bring our life under a lot of loves, right? The, the love or the desire for love from a person, our love for the world, our love for the things of the world, our love for ourselves. There are a lot of loves out there that we're counting on. There has to be a place in my life where I say, hey, as good as these loves might be, and some of them are not good, but I've got to come up under one love. I've got to depend on, put my life, my hope, my faith in one life. I've got to come under the love of Christ. I've got to come under God's love purpose for me if I reject that love and I reject that purpose and I continue to create love and purpose in my own ways then guess what happens my story never starts Ephesians chapter 2 says we're dead in our sin We're, we're dead there is no story and so if I reject the love if I reject the purpose that gives me a story then yes I can blow up my own story you said, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. You just, was it Jude 24? You just said we couldn't blow up our own story. That promise is for the person who's in relationship with Christ. Who carries me to the Father and presents me blameless? You see how important this is? The relationship? Who carries me there? It's not another person. It's not my success. It's not my name. It's not my church. Jesus carries me to the Father and makes the story hugely wonderful. So if I've rejected the relationship with Christ, if I've rejected God's purpose for me, then I can't engage these promises. I'm dead. Spiritually, I'm dead. That's why Jesus said you have to be born again. There's got to be a page one. I mean, I'm physically alive I'm physically on this world and I can run around here just being wonderfully good looking and popular and successful and accomplishing a lot for the world and die completely valueless. Because the story never got started. The physical birth is not the beginning of the story. Spiritual birth is. That's why Jesus said you've got to be born again. I've got to come under God's love. I've got to come under God's purpose. What's God's purpose for me? Jesus said in John 6:29, "The Father's purpose for you is Jesus." Jesus is God's purpose for me. That I enter a relationship with Jesus, that I grow and walk and depend and obey in a relationship with Jesus. You know, Romans 8.28 said all these things that fly onto the page that God will use them. Well, how, how's, how's God using that? Folks, everything flying onto the page of our story is a place to trust Christ. Everything flying onto the page of our story is a place to obey Christ. Everything flying into the pages of our story is a place to worship Christ. Everything going on is a place to grow and walk and thrive in Jesus. Till finally we get to the last page. And I stand before God. Not just blameless. Oh, it gets much better than that. I stand before God as if I was Jesus. Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans 8, verse 17 says, We are children of God. How do I become a child of God? John 1, 12, By believing on the name of Jesus, we become a child of God. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs would be similar to saying co. Co-heirs. What does co mean? It means two equals, right? If you have two captains on the team, they're called co-captains. They're equal. When you say somebody is a co-worker of yours, you don't call your boss that, right? You don't call the person that works under you that. Who do you call a co-worker? Those who are just like you. Those who are on the same level as you. Co-heirs are people on the same level. As I said, I've got four kids. One day, Randy and Karen are going to pass off the scene and and those four kids will come as co-heirs before our inheritance. They're, They're equal before that inheritance. Randy more equal than the others. But, but, but they're equal. Right? He's going to get some wonderful text from his siblings today. <laughs> the four of them stand there as equal before our inheritance. Do you got that picture? That's how you and I are going to stand before the inheritance of heaven. With Jesus. Like we're brothers. Like we're equals. We're not equal. There's nothing about us that is equal at all. But that's the story God is writing about you. Yeah, each one of us will have specifics in the story. And some parts of my story will look very different from yours and, and vice versa. But the opportunity is that I come as a co-heir with Jesus. How incredible is that? Which just leaves you and I basically with one big question every single day, doesn't it? One big, maybe you could say we've got one big prayer for every day. God, how do I join you in what you're doing? Or if you're a little skeptical of yourself is, God, how do I not screw up what you're doing today? <laughs> how do I not fight against what you're doing today? How, how do I not go off in a purpose that begins to contradict your purpose? How do I join you in what you're doing today? You know, if you've never entered a relationship with Christ, well, then that that steps pretty clear, isn't it? I, I've got to have a page one. I, I, I've got to begin a relationship with Jesus and, and many of us I know in here have, and so now we're working on page 2 and 5 and 397, right? But you get to a page, hey, God, Jesus, how do I join you in where you're going and in what you're doing? My, 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 my purpose is to not get out of that problem. What if, what if that problem is my best opportunity to know and experience Christ? Jesus, how do I join you in what you're doing today? And I am so grateful for the truth of of Psalm 138, verse 8. And and really, Psalm 139. Sometimes I say, Lord, should verse 8 have belonged as verse 1 in Psalm 139? Because Psalm 139 really supports what's being communicated in Psalm 138, verse 8. And and, and boy, this idea here, folks, is what my mom communicated to me. When, When she and my dad, too, when... When they communicated to me that I was adopted. And think about some of the questions that that adoption could raise. Why why did nobody want me? Why was I rejected? Oh, wait a minute. I'm not like everybody else in the family. I'm different. I got here different. All kinds of scary questions. Kind of what happens in life, right? We look a little different. We stand out. Wait, wait, why is this? What's that? And yet, as my mom explained to me, my... My adoption into that family. And I didn't leave with questions. I left with awe and wonder at a God who was so personal. A God who was involved with me. And that really has shaped how I look at really everything in life. My value is not in my name. It's not in my DNA. My value is not my ability or lack of ability. My my value is not in the questions that I can answer. My being lovable is not in how I can get your attention. My value. My worthiness to be loved is in the hands of the author. And he's promised where he's going with my story. Do you know when that becomes the lens by which you look at every page? There's tremendous strength in that. There's security and peace in that. It really guides and helps you work through a lot of questions and, and decisions. Man, when I come to Mother's Day, Psalm 139 is what comes to my mind every single year. And that I'm so grateful for a mom who's watching this right now and bawling her eyes out, I guarantee you. I'm so grateful for a mom who communicated, gave me that truth. God has a story for you, and it's good, and He's going to finish it. And I'll be honest with you, I feel really privileged to be a pastor who can share that with you today. Let's pray. Father, for every person in this room would you build in our heart and life one great desire to know you and your love and to know your purpose and to fall in line with it. God, would you guide each one of us in this room what, what that means right now in this moment for today what that means for this week ahead And Lord, may that today's promise that we hold on to become the lens, become the hope by which we look at all of life and everything entering the pages of our story. And oh Lord, I do pray for that one in this room, that that one that's watching online right now. God, I pray for that one whose story has not begun. I, I pray for those who've not come under your love and your purpose. Oh God, could it be today? Right here, right now, may page one begin to be written. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.